for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. All right, I am blue. You are bright and shiny in my mind. You got me loving, hating, crazy indecision in my mind. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blisey. Welcome back to the work week on this great Monday. We got a lot of rain yesterday here in Michigan, which was huge, so I'm super excited. You can probably tell in my voice, because that means the food plots are growing, so I'm excited. Anyway, to the nitty-gritty, today is episode 76. I'm actually on this intro by myself. Justin is out still uh, spot and stalk mule deer hunt right now. I have not got any updates from him, so I don't know what's going on there. He's not in service, so we will find out shortly. As for the podcast today, though, it is an exciting one. I got Chris and Casey Kiefer both on in the studio. We recorded it Friday, and there's some awesome information in there. And you will hear a sultry voice every once in a while, a deep, dark one, and that is Keegan. Keegan Zemer is part of our Kiefer Brothers team, so you'll hear him every once in a while. And uh, so those of you that are listening that didn't catch it on Friday, what we did is we did a live podcast on Kiefer Brothers Instagram and Kiefer Brothers Facebook. So we were answering listener-submitted questions on top of a couple topics that we're talking about being relevant to right now, you know, um, honing in on a shooter buck that you've been watching all summer and you know figuring that deer out to be able to get on him in the first couple weeks of October so that was one of the big main themes in this one and then uh, we we take on a lot of listener submitted questions that uh, Chris and Casey will answer as well so I'm excited about this one this one is really cool and the thing is is I love talking to these guys about this stuff because I mean for the last seven years I've been able to hunt you know, beside them every fall. So I get to learn from them and they know their stuff when it comes to whitetails. So 
it's really cool for me to sit down and get these guys one-on-one -on -one for for an hour and be able to just pick their brain even more and now we can record it so we can go back and listen to whenever we want so like i said these guys are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to whitetails and i think everybody's going to enjoy this one so i'm going to keep this intro short and sweet let's get right to this podcast with chris and casey keeper All right, so we are live on IG and Facebook, and we're going to start off by obviously talking about, you know, we're in mid, mid-August right now, and we're going to talk about honing in on that uh, target buck that you've been watching all summer, and you want to get in early season, October. What are you doing from here to to get after that deer the first two weeks of October? Sure. Yeah, I think that's a obviously timely thing for us to talk about right now. I mean, I know it's kind of that final push towards the season, right? I mean, we're looking at six weeks basically to October 1, somewhere in there. So there's lots of techniques and tips that we can do. And I think you had a bunch of uh, viewer questions and stuff like that submitted, right? Yep, yeah. And we got Keegan spearheading that over here. Mm-hmm. So let him roll in. Oh, so much bass in your voice. <laughs> He's got some low EQ in there. Guy. So, Talk Talk to so sultry. Good gracious. Wow. No, I'm excited. Season's coming around the corner. It just gets like it's coming up fast. Like you know, we've been golfing and hanging out all summer, enjoying the finally Michigan good weather, and then yep. all of a sudden, 50 degree mornings on the way to work, and it's like whoa, <laughs> yep. it's time. I looked outside. I got ferns already turning yellow. I know. It's good. It is nice. It's yep. really nice. So, Come yeah, up. whoever wants to kick it off, um, you know, just take it by – you've been watching them all summer, whatever buck that is. It's your hit list here. Yep. And I know you guys probably both have a couple different techniques of how to do it. You know, so maybe we'll start with you, Chris. Yep. If you've got the first two weeks of October and you're going to still try to get him on that pattern, that, that, that feed to bed or, you know – bed to feed pattern what would be your first tactic to get in there the first two weeks to get them well i think you know everything that, I, that we've talked about over the years that the kill factors that we take yep. into consideration right and i think there's four or five of them that we kind of rely on all the time for me intel is everything in the right. beginning of the season right mm -hmm. so it's that moment of uh you know put the trail cams out early get your mineral out where it's allowed obviously and you're trying to kind of get uh, inventory check, mm -hmm. you know, is this buck back from last year? You know, give an example right now. It's like shakes in Kansas, yep. you know, hunted shakes for the last three seasons. Now watched him one season, hunted him for two. Obviously we've had some encounters with him, some mm -hmm. really close and not so, <laughs> not so lucky of which people will see on the show, but I just um, got over it. Thanks for bringing it up. You're welcome. <laughs> um, and, and so like given that deer first and foremost, I'm trying to find him again. Right. right? And it's interesting because over the years, uh, have not found his sheds anywhere um but have but know where he's at every season when it comes early right uh i think this year adjusting that tactic so i've always gone down to kansas and hunted that in pre-rut like in that kind of october 20th time frame and that's usually when he shows up uh but then when i get down there i check the cameras and it's been daylight and he's been in there prior to that right so the junkyard is one of our stands in mm -hmm. kansas that he's always come to yep and it's that, that buck just boggles my mind because I don't oh, – even after three years, I still – I mean, all of us, where, did, where does he come from, right? And we kind of <laughs> figured it out a little bit a little and bit, actually yeah. had to go, like, talk to some farmers and secure some additional locations based on where we think he's coming from. 
But this early season is all about intel. Right. It's all about, A, is he back and finding him? And then we confirm, okay, he's back and he's big. Right. Then it comes down to what is his travel pattern early season? Mm-hmm. So where is he betting? Because, you know, he's an interesting buck because in the late season, he is not in the location that he's at right now. Right. You know, he lives off of our property. But in, in the mid-rut, like, he is on our property. Mm-hmm. But not only is he on it, he's on it in a deep way. He's on it by a couple of miles, and he kind of jumps from one to the yep. other, timber to timber. So it's just really this early in the season, it's trying to catch him when he's really not chasing. He's not considering much like that. He's trying to eat. He's in a normal pattern. Nothing's been thrown off yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I'm excited this year to start to do some intel on an additional piece that we picked yep. up. To where we think out, he's living. Yeah, that's where we think he's yep. living. And so doing that intel on that side of things to figure out when is he leaving there and coming on to what we currently have right. and when is he leaving us where we currently have and going back to that. And I think that's that's the big thing is just really trying to pattern. And the, to me, the best tools that we have right now is the Reconics because you catch him, you know, we put cameras in locations that we think he's coming to, but yeah. it's also the three or four that are on the way to and from that we're like, oh, he went around and even in some locations putting him on both sides of the tree because, yep. you know, he's he's running to the north. He's not going to the south. Mm-hmm. And there's certain situations like that where it's it's all that intel that's added up. Yep. Um, and and then it's a matter of wind direction on that day that you decide to go do it. Yep. You know, I, I'm probably going to go down, you know, right around the 25th of September, kind of early this year, take a different tactic on him and go in at that, that first. But I probably won't get in a tree stand until October 1st. It's, it's all about the right conditions for that situation. Now, it might be the 28th, 29th. Yep. The point is I'll be there for several days glassing from a distance, trying to get intel of him crossing or going from one direction to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kansas allows us to do that. Yeah. Um, are you, gonna be, are you going to be hunting mornings early October? I don't think so. Uh, I think uh, it's really an evening thing uh, coming to the food sources, and, and I don't want to mess up the bedding area. Right. I don't want to have to kind of go through that that early in the season. I think as October progresses, mm-hmm. and certainly in November, but um, I don't think so. I think it's – I would rather take the mornings and figure out where he's going to yep. and see if I can lay eyes on him. And, and, and it's not just that buck. It's any buck that we have, whether right. it be uh, just a shooter in yep. general. But I just use him because he's been such a mystery for us that that early season this year, that's the tactic that I'm going to take to try to go after him. And Bob Marley's the same example. Yep. I mean, Casey's been hunting him, saw him how many times. But it's interesting. We go down there, we check the trail cameras, October 1, 2, 3, and 4, daylight sitting on a trail camera. We're mm-hmm. there on the 20th, and he's a ghost. Yeah. Because it's that transition pattern where they start to go in different directions. Right. So I think the early season is all intel. And let's hunt the evenings yep. and pick those stands. I don't even mind. And, and normally we have a different tactic in this. I like to get in on top of the deer. Casey likes to kind of hunt out on the outside. But now this year, my tactic for early season, Switching I don't even mind sitting in a tree stand where I, I know for a fact I'm not going to see him. There's a chance. But I'm more or less looking at that, that up there to see if I can see where right. he's coming out. Because – the hang and bang option early is very, very it's possible. Huge. Yeah. It's huge, yeah. uh, you know, because they're doing their thing. They're not coming to your set stands. Yep. So it's just that intel. Watch him, boom, hang, bang, mm-hmm. sit in the afternoon, and you know he's coming through. He's yep. not suspecting it. So for me, I think it's intel. Yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. Intel is definitely what it all comes down to. I mean, really throughout any time of the year, the more intel you have, the better. But I think, you know, something to touch on, I think, a little bit in this subject is like, okay, how do we get intel? 
Right. You know, hanging trail cameras is one thing, but where are you hanging trail cameras? How are you using trail cameras? I mean, our Kansas property is a little bit unique in the fact that we have a ton of CRP, yep. right? So it's like, you know, those deer are somewhat nomadic. We talk about it all the time. They're like caribou on that farm. Like, there's just really no rhyme or reason to a lot of what they do. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, traditionally you're trying to look for pinches and funnels and down fences and stuff like that. And those are all tactics that you can definitely put into play. But then we're lucky enough also in Kansas to be able to run a feed program, right? So we run a feed program on the farm. And throughout the, the course of the summer, that can be a huge intel gathering point right sure. whether you're running talking just a mineral pit with accelerator by you know the rack one right. or you're actually running you know like we do we run banks feeders you know with rack one feed products mm -hmm. in them year round so being able to pinpoint you know where they're coming through to and from those feeders is actually um, every bit as important as actually at the feeder themselves, yep. right? Because if you can start to pinpoint the locations they come to and from, those patterns don't necessarily change too much, right? right. So if they're going to come back, it's like, you know, even, even if it's, uh, you know, uh, you're talking water, if they're going to come back to water, usually they're going to come the same way to mm -hmm. and from. So, you know, really trying to, you know, start at that feeder, but then branch out and start working your way out, you know, in, in a circle around it and try to figure out where they're coming to and from. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's important. Same thing with, you know, I mentioned fence lines, like trying to find areas where fence lines are down a little bit and they've yep. got easy crossings from, you know, one field to another. Uh, you know, another great spot for trail cameras is anytime you have a distinct change in timber, which we definitely do in Kansas. We have sure. a ton of cedars down there, right? Yep. Anytime you've got a hard line of cedars meets hardwoods, uh, something like that, great travel routes for deer. I mean, awesome travel routes. So mm -hmm. really trying to kind of pinpoint certain areas like that. And then, you know, I, I go back to an example that we talked about the other day just with a deer that Rock's trying to get pinned in on. Um, you know, you might have five or six trail cameras out, and you get a deer on one trail camera. Well, he's not showing up on your other cameras. So essentially, after a certain period of time, you have to rule those out and say, okay, they're useless where they are right now. A lot of people don't think to take those trail cameras that are useless that you're not getting those deer on and surround the camera you're getting deer you're getting the deer on right yep. so take take all those four or five cameras that aren't doing anything and start spreading them around the one that's actually getting pictures yep that's going to un unveil a little bit more of the story right if you're getting them on that one that one camera and he's always coming from you know say the north get more cameras on the north side around that camera and slowly but surely you're going to start to backtrack them and you're going to start to figure out where he's coming from so which is a great point, but let's say we're in August here in September and you're trying to pinpoint that deer. How many, how much are you going in there to check those cameras? You know, you want to be low profile, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. you want to be as less obtrusive as you can, but what's your tactic on that? Like, you know, do you put well, them in there and just sit until you're like going to well, go hunted or, or what's your thing? I mean, I think all camera spots are, are unique, but if the conditions are right, I'm not scared to go in whenever. Mm -hmm. I mean, to be honest, um, you know, if you do your job on scent control, play the wind when you're checking cameras, just like you would when you're hunting. Right. I mean, there should, there should be no issues. Right. Um, that's just me personally. And let's not forget deer this time of year are generally more relaxed anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not, you know, the bucks aren't full of testosterone and firing <laughs> around looking for does and all that stuff. So they're generally a little bit more relaxed. They don't really feel too crazy threatened this time of year. So I guess for me, if the conditions are right, I'll go in and check a camera whenever it doesn't matter. But when you do it, do it just the way you would if you were going hunting. Right. So play the wind, yeah. play the scent, yeah. do everything properly. Yeah. Yep. And I, I think like, you know, as you get into September and you start thinking about you're getting closer to that 
seasonal change when those bucks are changing the deer because right now they are they're you know you drive by them in the field they're just looking at you you can't do that in october i mean they're Mm -hmm. gone right so i think as you get closer i'm I'm all about letting them marinate if you will because by then you've checked your august cameras you kind of have inventory on your property you know what's going on and i really I don't like to check them too much because I also like to see a several-day pattern of that deer. Yep. You know, it's one thing to catch a deer on the camera. It's mm-hmm. another thing to say every three days he's coming he's through doing this, this, right? And so it's not about the frequency in which you check it. Sometimes when you know you've got him and you got him on there once, I will leave that marinade for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. because it's like, okay, he was on here one time. Does he come back? And, and to Casey's point, if he's not on the other five, move those things around potentially closer to the other one. So then all of a sudden, now you're really starting to hone in because you leave it marinate. You got three weeks of information here, three weeks. All of a sudden, every three days he's coming here. Oh, every two days he's coming here. Now you start to hone in. So it is nice to leave them because you do get more information the longer you leave them. Um, I think I've made that that mistake in the past where I get a buck on a camera and I'm like, we got to get in here and hunt this buck. And he may have just walked through one time, and it's like, you know, you spend the next six days hunting, and he's back over to where he was. You know, you're a couple steps roam, behind And you're something. behind him yep. every time. Yeah. And, and so I think the worst thing you can do is that's, – that, that's why trail cameras are, like, the most amazing thing. And also, if you get too, too dependent on them, they become, like, a, right, a yeah. tool that messes with your head. Yep. You know, if you become too dependent on a trail camera, it's like you, you start chasing your tail because mm-hmm. you're like, well, he was here, he was here, he was here. It's, it's let it sit, take the information, figure yeah. it out and then make an educated decision based on all the hunting stuff, the wind direction, how you enter the property, where you're yep. going to go. I mean, that's that's really the best way to well, do it. Well, you start playing the you zig when he zags game, and you're toast. Yeah. I mean, which you're going to waste every day your hunt zigging when he zags. Well, let's be honest. So. I think that's why, to this date, shakes you know, minus one little key thing. I, I, don't, I think that's why he's still moving and grooving, and Bob yeah. Marley as well, is because – kind of zig and zag on him mm-hmm. and and, and uh, you know so you know for the people that are listening shakes is uh, uh you know he's got what 18 scorable points he's yeah. a giant buck he's, giant. he's a beautiful deer he's yep. huge right bob marley is a slick a point that is scored like 168 or 170 and he's up there, right there. Sheds, what was that sheds yeah, up there. i mean th- that was his three-year-old sheds yeah. so these are giant deer they're they're mind-boggling to me because mm-hmm. of all the properties that we've ever had we've got these two bucks that we've seen since two years old that will literally disappear. So Bob Marley is one of those ones where even year by year we get closer. So one year we get him, we see him in the field, he's two, we never see him the rest of the season. He comes back at three, same thing. We see him early season, we never one time got nope. a picture of him. Nope. We've got an advantage, right? We've got 40 cameras. That's, a, that's way more than the average person yeah. is going to have out. We still didn't get him. Now he moves into the next year. Now you start making moves. Casey starts making moves. Now we're you guys are seeing, seeing him a lot more, right? You're yeah. seeing him in the field more. All of a sudden, you know, it's like, whoa! I never expect him to be up on top of this field. Or right. He was coming out here, but then he goes. Then he's a ghost. And he yep. goes dark. Right? Then yeah. he goes dark again, and not a camera, not a visual, not anything. Yep. And then now it's like, oh, he's back again. So it's it's just a crazy game. It's of funny how that works too. As a three year old, he's literally gone one picture on the whole yep. farm. The whole yep. farm. Four years old, he and comes in and he's like, and we find his sheds. <laughs> Four year old, he comes in, he's like on every camera. Yeah, and know? it's consistent. And it's, yeah. It was just a matter of timing and daylight movement versus dark, and and then also. Could, could we even get in there? I mean, he's traveling in a spot where it's hard to get I mean, in these trees. I mean, it's not like you're finding a tree. You, you slip into a bank, so you move yep. things around a little bit. And then it's just a matter of him getting comfortable with that mm-hmm. pattern. And so, yeah, I mean, he's traveling in a spot where he's not even huntable. Exactly. You know, and that, that, yep. that's hard because it's like, 
where's he coming from? Yep. Right. You know, and he's well, coming from a tiny little piece of timber. He's not coming from, you know, 10,000 acres. Yeah, here. exactly. Well, I think it's important to point out, too, yeah, it's not like we're hunting big timber. Like, we, these deer only have so many patches yeah, of timber that they can go small. into and live. And when you look at what surrounds our farm, there can be miles of nothing, you know. So uh, it's just – it go, I mean, those deer, I'm convinced they're caribou in Kansas. <laughs> like yeah, They are. Great. Caribou just, don't know where they're going until they get there. That's right. That's they, the thing. That's it's, exactly right. And these deer are much the same with a couple of things here and there that you can put two or three dots on a map with. Yep. But that's about all we get. And right. we got to try and take advantage of it. Yeah. And, you know, with Bob Marley, it's he's crazy. I mean, you and I chased him forever last year trying to hang and bang on different – different scenarios get a banks in there and that's the beauty about the banks blinds is they got the skid system we can oh, pull them wherever the heck we want there's so in better. kansas or something that's the best yep best Th thing ever there's nothing better those banks they're so easy to use they're so easy to move they're unbelievably comfortable to sit in yep. and the best part about it is you think about how many times you and i moved blinds around last year right Yep. Yeah. We, we moved uh, we moved the blind up to Hurricane, and then yep. from Hurricane we moved the blind, uh, you know, all the way over towards like uh, Junkyard and where where Pulsaw used to be. Mm -hmm. um, and those deer, they don't even think twice. I mean, you would think a brand new blind sitting in the middle of a CRP no. field would freak them out. They literally they don't care. They don't care. They don't, they, yep. they don't think twice. So they don't care at I all. Mean, they change the game in terms of how we hunt that property because, yep. again, going back to all the CRP that we have. Um, if we're not hunting from blinds, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Right. There's even a lot of spots on that farm where, you know, uh, in particular down at the bottom of the junkyard, remember the corner that we used to talk about sundown going yep. through where we could yep. kill them and we never could find a tree that would fit a stand because they're all crooked as hell yep. or, you know, way too small. But this year we're putting the banks in there because that corner is that's a dead, that's a that's a hot corner. every buck goes through yep, there. that's a hot corner i mean At that's a point. guarantee every year one of those spots that you know if you sit there for seven days one of those seven days yep. you're gonna have a shooter walk by well and the thing i like about that spot the most too is that the access is bulletproof yep. i mean you can yeah. come right down any, the green mile way. corner yep. and on basically any wind but you know a, a pretty hard west wind you yep. might not be able to get into it but you can even come up from the bottom of the junkyard you really you could to. you yep. know what i mean there, there's, there's multiple entries and exits yep. based on your wind and you know that's one of those spots where you're going to sacrifice something no matter which way you come in just right. because of the way the deer move through there so there really is no perfect way to get in but you can adjust accordingly depending on what the wind that's going. another good point you know when you're hunting big timber too and uh, even not even big timber, even in Kansas, when you, you, you always have to give up something, Yeah, you know, always generally how, speaking. Yeah. yeah. Usually. And how do you guys, how do you guys tackle that? You know, it's, it's, I know it's kind of a broad question, but if you know you're, you need to be in an area, especially like Ohio, big timber, you know, and it's like, well, we, you know, we got a pretty good idea where a uh, big sneaky is coming or something. And it's like, how do you tackle what, you want to give up, you know, if you yeah. have to. Yeah. First of all, big sneaky stings. Okay. Neighbor shot big <laughs> I brought sneaky. It back Let's up. say, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I brought I'm just back getting up. over big sneaky as sneaky well. Sneaky Jr. looks I good, mean, though. he was sneaky, all right. He yeah. snuck right over the neighbor's property and took one to the lungs. So <laughs> that's not, let's not talk about sneaky. <clears throat> I think for me, what it comes down to is like, I try to look at, you know, the progression of the hunt, right? So I'll start with, you know, the first thing that you're going to have to do generally on any certain spot is you got to beat the does mm -hmm. right so your buck could be coming you know from the west but the does come from the east you know what i mean and if you don't beat the does you have 
uh, a very good chance you're just going to blow your whole night up. Yep. So it's almost like start start with the beginning of the sit and look how it's going to play out, right? I know the first group of deer that come out in this field generally come from the east. And then late at night, there comes a mob of deer from the west. So just try to weigh it out. I mean, every stand is unique. Every stand is different. I don't think there is kind of one cure for that scenario. Yep. It's just that's how I do it is I sit there and say, okay, how is the actual sit itself going to play out? Mm-hmm. Because well, if I can't beat those first deer that come out, then I probably don't even have a chance pretty useless of him yep. coming through. Yeah, That's yeah. a good point. I, so I go back. We had a stand in Illinois um, called the 200 stand. Mm-hmm. And we called it that because it's like if you're going to make that trek back there, it better be a 200 that you shoot. Right? Yep. And that was like the joke around that stand. But we called it the 200 stand. That was like a mile hike. I mean, oh, it, was, yeah. it was back in there. And it was in the middle of the timber. So to your point, like, what were we willing to give up? So first and foremost, we we, we kind of cut this trail so that it was the same trail in and out every time, yep. no matter what. And we made sure that there was a path that was pretty quiet as we went yep. in. We went in extra early. I mean, we're talking to leave to go to that stand by the time you had the hike in there. If it was daylight at 5, we were sitting at 4, we were leaving at 3.15. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, uh, it was early. I mean, we yep. were getting in there so early because there's something to be said about getting in, especially with us. We, you know, you guys are with us. We got cameras. We yep. got, you know, if gear, we got to settle in. But there's nothing better than getting in there so early and letting that 30 minutes of darkness, right? Because you just, at that point, yep. they, there, there might be some deer on the ridge you haven't seen. And then I think what was unique about that was we were, allowed, we were really looking at the contour of the land. So you're were, you were kind of taking into consideration where they were coming from, where the first deer would be coming into. Because usually in big timber in the mornings, they're not in it necessarily. They're feeding and they're coming to the bedding. And so was that stand in particular that, that sat on it on, a, on the edge of it on the edge of a, a kind of a hill. Mm-hmm. So it was like our wind direction, even even with a south wind, it was hit me in the face. It was still going to go round the backside of. Yep. It was still going to follow the thermals right, and it was going to curve with the with everything. And it was a really steep drop off. So you could get away with a lot more in a stand like that and putting the location there because of those that wind direction. If it hit you, even if it hit you from the back, I could hunt that with wind in my back because the way it would hit the side of the edge and yep. it would kind of funnel that way and I could still have deer come out in front of me. So it was interesting mm-hmm. to kind of take the lay of the land into mm-hmm. consideration as well. Um, but I think, you know, getting in there early, way before you're supposed to. And, yep. you know, that stand was an all that was a that was an Ironman stand. Right. I mean, that was an all day sit. There's no reason to go in there and sit for an hour and then say, well, it's 10 mm-hmm. o'clock and we're done. It was an all-day all sit. And then I think it's that added additional. So you've got deer in the timber all day long, all day long. They're in there. You've been in there before them. Now they make their way out, and then it's a matter of, like, how long after dark did you sit? You know, it wasn't like, well, we're out of camera light, which in a normal situation you've got everything you're looking at in the yep. field. You're like, we're out. We can sneak out. This was like – well, we're sitting here for another, you know, let's let the woods clear out, then get down and then take the same direction out, mm-hmm. which was always the different way from where they went, right? So it was, there's so many factors that yep. go into it. It really is. You know, it really is. And yeah. it's just, what are you willing? I mean, you're going to burn something, as they say, so it's just a matter of what, you know? Yeah. So. Case, in your opinion, where do you think Bob's living? <clears throat> I think Bob lives, uh, I think he lives to the east of us. Mm-hmm. I think he lives in that east block of timber. Mm-hmm. I think he comes over. I think he trolls through uh, the kind of south section of the Christmas tree. Then I think he trolls over to Igloo. Like he crosses, goes down through almost where um, uh, Whirly Bird is. Yep. 
trolls right up to Igloo, and I think he goes back across and goes to the But he doesn't go any farther than Igloo nope. or Whirlybird. Nope. Like, it's crazy. <clears throat> like, that's his definitive that's his, line. Yep, like, yeah. I can't cross it. <clears throat> Which is really, you know, again, for the people that are listening, it's not very far. No. I mean, you're no, talking. It's, it's a mile. It's yeah, a mile. And, a mile. And, and, and so Christmas tree is a section of timber divided by a road. Yep. Like an actual main road. Yeah, and gravel. then yeah. the other side, the igloo, is another section of timber with Whirlybird in it. And you got to love the names of all of our, our stands. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's not a very big area. We just can't pinpoint where. And there's some sections in there that are just unhuntable. You know where, <clears throat> you know yeah, where it really wouldn't, is. wouldn't surprise me if we killed him this year is Flying Dutchman. Uh, yeah. Which one uh, is I that? think we could kill him flying that new one that I hung up on the fence line buried in those cedars last year. Uh, yeah, sure. I think we could kill him on Flying Dutchman. <laughs> We, really had a, do. we had a cell cam there. Uh, yeah, a yeah, cell cam there. Yeah, and it was had. like you left it, and then it was like. Yeah, it was right right on. I mean, it's yeah. your, your Wait, shot on is. Wait, on the corner? On the corner? Your shot's, no, your shot's 15 no, yards the one on top on of that big flat, fence line. That big fence oh, line. Oh, yep, yep. Remember that? Yep. <clears throat> Flying Dutchman. I think we could kill him there early. Also a great name. But it's literally your shot is 15 yards directly in front of you, that's and that's, that's all you have. That's the one you're in the little cedar that does that blows yeah, the you're wind. Up there is the flying I think my stand, <laughs> I think, has two cedars that are this big ratchet together <laughs> to make a bigger cedar. It does, yeah. Yeah, yeah we ratcheted two fun. together. We learned that move from Chad and Iowa. Yeah. Ratchet those, ra- the ratchet stand. Yep. Yep. PBR, the ratchet stand. All right, so you guys have a couple questions here. Well, wait. wait we gotta, we you guys, does anybody else <laughs> notice that voice when it comes Keegan, in? Keegan is with us. Keegan <laughs> is with us. I Come am on, here. I got live Facebook or live Instagram going as well, just in case anybody. We're, we're doing a uh, podcast here with Fall Podcast. We're super excited about this. So, anyway, go what ahead. What do you got, Keegan? Go all right, so Brenton wants to know. He says, great work, guys. Love all the insight and tips. Need tips on getting to a stand through a large field. Getting to a stand through a large what field. What kind of field? Is he CRP? He didn't Let's say. Let's just say CRP field. field. Yep. So the first thing I'll tell you is don't go in the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's my style. Um, uh, I can touch on my opinion real quick. I, that's one of the reasons that I don't hunt mornings in a lot of the places that we go is because if I'm going to try and get to a field edge in the morning, chances are i got to go through the food source that the deer are using, which is going to blow it out. So um, I try not to do that anywhere I can. Um, there's certain instances where I may wait until – uh late morning to go in um just like we did with uh <clears throat> curly curly yep. yeah what we did with curly in iowa is we knew that deer was <laughs> going to be in there in the morning so we said we're going to wait until late morning um like nine o'clock we'll slip in at nine o'clock after the deer are out of the field and he'll be here at 11 and at ten fifty nine, he showed up I mean, we walked in there, walked in, got in the stand, didn't blow any deer, and at 10.59, he walked right out in front of us. So, um, you know, that's one of the tough things about field edge hunting is is morning hunts. I mean, they're they're really, really tough. There is no surefire way to get in or out without blowing deer. And the same as in the evening, you know, in the, at the end of an evening hunt, if you have to get down and go back through the field, chances are you're going to blow the deer again. So, um, you know, you really got to pay attention to entry and exit and try to come in the opposite way of where the deer are. Yeah, it's the same. I mean, Ohio – you know, I mean, that's all we have. I mean, big fields. Yeah, if you're coming in from you're the top, in you're from toast. The top. And the trifecta is a stand that we have that, I mean, I'm basically, I'm in the middle of the field. But it's that morning again. It's, man, I'm early. I'm early in the morning, and it's always it's always a guessing game. You get in and you go, he was probably in here early, mm-hmm. and I just blew yep. him out. Yep. You know, but it, I think what's interesting about that spot is we found a way in, again, using the contour of the land. Yep. The left, you know, that east side of that property that there's a big hill that I could kind of get top, behind yeah. and a ridge top that I could get behind and come around. And I, and it takes a lot longer. I mean, it's a long way around. I mean, and I, I don't drive a ranger 
so far and then get out. Like it's basically once you're in, it's like I stop and, it, and you just got to go the extra mile. I mean, you're going to walk no matter what. So make the walk, yep. you know, but take the long way around and then come in from the back of the stand and slip in. So it, it just, and you know, at, at any well, given time you're hunting a field, you, I mean, it's just tough. And, and there are ways to get creative. Like if you're the one that's farming the field or you know who is farming the field, you can essentially, you know, see if you can leave some late season feed. Leave corn stand. Oh, yeah. Leave two rows or one row yep. of corn stand, you know, 10, 15 yards off the edge of the field where you can actually get behind it and use that to slip in. Or if you're, you know, if you're able to plant a food plot, look at plot screen, you know, some yep. sort of something like that that's going to give you a barrier between the giant part of the field and where you need to walk. So, yep. I mean, there's ways to get creative. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to have more control over what you're able to right. do and what you're not. Yeah. Got anything else on that? Uh, we have one more too. Um, so you both have Bob Marley and Shakes at twenty yards. Mm-hmm. Which one are you putting your pin on? Whew, tough one, boy. That that is a tough question. Uh, as far as well, aesthetic, let's, let's describe the so deer. aesthetically. Yeah. Here, let's let yeah. Aesthetically, I'm 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 gonna. Okay, let me back up for a second. Well, Shakes is last year. He was pushing one ninety. Yeah, I mean, Shakes is gonna be your score deer. Right. So I, you know, I mean, he's going to probably knock on, knock on two. Um, but Bob Marley to me is probably one of the coolest deer I've ever looked. I, I, I mean, a, an eight point that is in the, in the hundred, like a Touching legitimate 170 maybe? slick eight point. I got to shoot him. I got to shoot Bob. If I had the choice, if they were both standing in front of me. That's tough. Um, here, let me see. Yeah. So this is. So that's a three year old Bob right this there. This is three year old. I just smacked my ACL. One so there it is right there. Seven I mean, that was a 160-inch three-year-old. Uh, yeah, I mean, that is a three-year-old slick as a whistle A-point. That is just a gorgeous deer. And the thing I love about his is his frame, how it sits. Bob sits so high off yep. the top of his head when he's coming in. He's, like, majestic, you know. Here, Where Shakes is a lot of junk. Are you live you know? there? So they're really mm-hmm. two different deer. No. He'd have to take him up over there. You give it to Cody. He this, is, this is Bob last year. 15 so Bob, yards in front of a That's a four-year-old blind. Bob right there. That's a four-year-old Bob. There he is. Yeah. He's just majestic. He is. And so he actually tall. had that split, right? So yeah, he, 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 he kind of kind of turned into a nine. That's a four-year-old Bob, and then I'll give, you, I'll give you a 20-yard shake here in a second. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to think about it. Yeah, I'll give everybody Just got done a editing that episode. Yeah, relive the nightmare all over again. Case, what about you? I wouldn't have expected that from you. Yeah. Honestly, um, I would have expected shakes. I like framey deer. I like big framey deer. And I'm not really I'm not hung up on score as much as I am the look of the deer. Yeah. I I I love giant eight points. I mean, there's something about giant eight points. Go to shakes. There's something about giant eight points that oh, I just. Oh man, looking at him right there, maybe I will take shakes. <laughs> <laughs> man, I forgot about that's it. A, that's, that's a shakes last that's year. That's a twenty yard shakes right there. Yeah. yeah, eighteen scoreable, touching one ninety. He's got like eight brow tines. He's got seven inch bases for sure. I mean, twenty I mean, yards. There's no doubt he's a stud. But I mean, and he's in Missouri. On uh, he's not in Kansas. He's in Missouri, <laughs> yeah. uh, up in the northern part. But he crosses uh, into Illinois. He crosses into Illinois yeah. all the time. He lives just, in just Hannibal. So he lives in Hannibal, Missouri. But he goes into Pike our, County. Our property moment. is west of Colorado, <laughs> and we heard he takes a barge across exactly. the, the river. Yeah, not, he does. I'm an eight-point guy. I mean, so I, I got to give it to, to Bob. I mean, when you look at old Megatron, he's actually back there behind us. There's just something about big eight-points. To be honest, I mean, Louie. I remember that last year. I, I love was, I was going to smoke Louie. And, I mean, he's not 
he's an old deer for sure. He's an awesome deer to shoot. He's not the biggest deer. He's probably 150 some inch eight point. But I mean, I, he stepped out when we were. He's in a junk. big eight point. <laughs> yeah, it's a big eight when point. We were in, but when <laughs> you but when you compare him to somebody like Bob, right, right, right. you're kind of like, yeah, he's, yeah, he is what he is. So I'm gonna be different. I'm gonna go shake since you guys aren't gonna kill him this year, and I've got an archery tag. <laughs> You've got an archery tag. <laughs> Shakes walks under. Yeah. AB. Yeah. That's going to be something. Yeah. Throw on. Throw on. Jump on him. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I told you you can't hunt east of that line. Right, right. Okay, right. just make sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's – hey, listen, I want to see them both. Um, yeah. They're, they're both five this year that by our – you know, all of our mm-hmm. management and everything that we've done with them. So, I mean, it's going to be tough hunting them, but I'm excited to see because they both made changes last year from, from the two previous years. But I think this year's that year – you know, when they when they hit that four or five, the mass kicks in. <clears throat> Any of that non-typical trait really does kick in. You know, it really starts to happen for them at that point. So I'm excited to see what they look like. And don't rule out Hurricane for shakes. Yeah. He could be at the bottom of the hurricane. We did that hang and bang stand there, yeah. and it's don't a good spot. Don't rule out Hurricane for him. I actually uncovered some good information yesterday on that stand. I'll show you guys on cameras from last year. Cool. So – um, I got a question coming through here, and this was actually yesterday, and uh, somebody submitted, if you could only take one call with you in the rut, what would it be and why? One call. Um, Do my rattling antlers count as a call? I was just going to say the same <laughs> Well, thing. yeah, I mean, like, rattling yeah, antlers, I'd say rattling bleat. antlers. Yep. I snort wheeze with my mouth. I don't use a call for snort wheeze, so I always have that with me. It's a disadvantage. But if I had to uh, – <laughs> It's not allowed. Yeah. If I had to – if I had to – Take one thing with me, be rat. I'm a rattling hands fool. down rattling yeah. antlers. Yep. I mean, you look back right there, just at those deer that are in there. Uh, rib cage we rattled in and mm-hmm. killed him. Uh, Megatron we rattled to 19 yards or whatever it was on the first yep. night and couldn't get a shot at him. So uh, there's just something about the way a deer reacts to rattling antlers if you do it right that just makes the hunt that much more like yes yep. you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. I, I did that right I, I wasn't just sitting here right i made him come to me yeah you know i go back to the first buck that you know the the iowa deer that was on the cover of monster bucks back in the day the drop time deer yeah. um that deer was 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 taken specifically from a rattle mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. watched him for seven hours climbed a cedar tree in a terrace right? yeah like in a terrace and we climbed a cedar tree that didn't have a tree stand in it and just climbed the cedar tree and, like, took a millennium and just stuck it in and sat down, like, on branches and, like, on the side of that thing and basically rattled, and he just stood up and came right directly yep. at us and came yep. 40 yards. And I've a great heard hunt. more deer that are going away from me or that have, like, that I, that are skirting, and I've, like, seen them in the binos and realized it's them, reach for my rattling antlers, smack them together in a certain way, then drop it and get ready, and I've had them turn than I have with a grunt. I've had a grunt. A lot of times I've had the reaction of looking and then turning and going where right. I think that, that rattle is that, like, visceral yep. reaction to, like, Who's fighting in here? So it's got to be rattling antlers. Oh, and I got theories on this too, and I probably shared them with mm-hmm. AB. Like grunt, a grunt means a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Deer grunt all through the year. They don't just grunt during the rut, right? So a grunt is something that they hear more frequently. It means more things. It can have more interpretations. Is it a chasing grunt? Is it a tending grunt? Is it a you know? Is it a roar? As a lot of people yep. call it. Um, antlers hitting together mean one thing. Fight. fight. That's a fight. Mm-hmm. And. Generally speaking, that's a fight because there's a deer encroaching on somebody else's turf, right? So, um, and if you have an older deer 
you know, that is kind of the boss buck of the area and he hears a fight going on in his turf, you bet your ass he's going to investigate it. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going back to Shakes last year, we knew he was going to get pushed out of where he was. From Louis. So yeah. let's tickle the antlers. Let's let him know there's other deer up here. Louis pushes him out. Next thing you know, he shows up. And we should hit on that, too. I mean, Louis was 150-inch eight. Oh. And Bob, or uh, not Bob, but Shakes is a 190-inch deer, and Louie walked him out like Ran worked, his like Robin show. Big, like being an yeah. escort. Yeah. It's crazy. Ran his show. Yeah. yeah. So that just goes to tell you that antler size, really, in the pecking order of whitetails doesn't mean jack shit. Yeah. No. It's age. It's, 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 it's it is age that. because Louis I mean, an old buck. Louis's old, and he's a big bouncer. It's what yeah. he is. Yeah. Um, also, I also believe with riding antlers, like, you rattle in what you're rattling with. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if you use 108-inch yeah. sheds, you're going to probably not get the giant you're looking for. I mean, my, my rattling antlers are huge. I, they're they're 168-inch <laughs> sheds that we found. I mean, it's a big deer, but the reason I have them is because of the mass on them. Right. It's the density of that antler when I hit they them together. They sound so good, It though. sounds good. I don't have to hit them together hard. Mm-hmm. And I think the common mistake that people make is that uh, they rattle and they rattle and they rattle. They over-rattle. Like, they're, they're just rattling, just crack, 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 crack together all the time. We, we've had the advantage of seeing multiple whitetail fights over the years. I'm talking probably hundreds uh, because of our guiding experience and everything that we've done. And when those deer lock up, the mimic sound of that fight is not crack them together and just shake them until yep. they're – because that's just not how a whitetail fights. When a whitetail locks up, there is that sound of the crack, and then there's the, the locking the like, is like a kick, yep, kick, kick. Yep. It's, it's not like a just sit there and shake them. And a lot of guys will get together and gals will hit it together and brrr, yep. and then they wonder what's happening. And it's like the deer probably looks over and goes like, what is that? Yep. Right. It, so that sound, it's not just smack them and go. There is an art form to rattling. And it's also usually very quick. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's usually under a minute, 30, 45 seconds. I mean, when deer lock up, boom, and they hit and they'll go and they're pushing when they're pushing each other. That's not rattling. That's that's a sound of like yep. rubbing antlers, right. and then they push, push, and then they usually will separate. Mm-hmm. And when you see them separate, I think one of the keys is there's uh, at least in my opinion, there's that snort wheeze that happens immediately yep. afterwards. Like yep. so, it's a matter Let's of a go, rattling sequence, like- and then a boom, a snort wheeze, and then it's over. Mm-hmm. And then you know some people wait like three minutes and then rattle again. The, if if those two fight, they're not fighting in another minute. You know, I mean, now there has been some knockdown, drag oh, yeah. out, you know, oh, they yeah. go forever. And I have seen it work where we got, you know, and but, you know, for the most part. And the other thing I do is I will like some of my tree stands. I have a branches coming off of it. I'll hit the branches. Mm-hmm. And that's that sound of the logs. Like I will hit a branch and because it's noise that is like, yep. OK, during a fight, because you have to remember now if two whitetails fighting. They don't fight in silence. In a you know tree what I mean? stand. <laughs> like, they don't just sit there and fight each other like this with their antlers and then yeah. walk away. So there's mm-hmm. other noise, like there's branches being pushed, there's dirt being. D- so when you're, for me, like I make noise when I rattle, yep. and I've had great success with it over the years. And uh, we had that stand in Illinois. And was it old twenty eight? Old twenty eight. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Twenty eight. Twenty eight different bucks in one day. Um, Rattled in. Never left the tree stand, yep. and we just sat there. We have it all on film, literally. 28 different bucks in one day, and it was the most incredible day for rattling I ever had. Um, it was it was intense. And something you taught me too is like when you're rattling. When I rattled the super sweet six in, yep. is uh, uh, <laughs> is taking the bases and as you're rattling, clicking them together. Yep. You yep. know, like doing this because a lot of those bucks they'll lock up. You know, bases. Yep. However yep. you want to do a it, lot. and it's it's a different noise. It's yeah. hard when you got brow tines on. It does. Yeah. So you got to cut the brow. And, and then even you know, for me, it comes also to that separation, right? A lot of yep. times, you know, it's not just a clean separation. 
it's the end of the tines and the sound that makes as you pull them apart. Yep. It's that like real ting, ting, ting as they yep. come off, yep. right? Yep. And like Chris said, then followed with that, <laughs> that snort wheeze that happens. And then for me also, it's directional, right? So I try oh, yeah. to never, even, even if I'm grunting or Any you know, bleeding yep. or rattling, I never do it directly at the deer, ever. Um, you know, I try to, when I'm rattling, I try to go left to right, right to left, you know, because you got to remember those deer are pushing each other around, right? So that sound is changing. If you're just static here, then like Chris said, they're just, it'd be like them just twisting their necks. Mm -hmm. That's not how it happens, right? They push each other back and forth. So directionally that sound changes and it just adds a little bit more realism to it. In my opinion, I mean, people might be like, Hey, you're full of shit, but that's how it It works. Even like, you know, I have my bow hanger that comes out and then it's got the hooks on it and I will hang my I have a rope a leather strap that comes between the two and I hang it there on purpose because it is a matter of like you see them I don't have to remove them and do it I can literally reach right here and just just hit them together it's sometimes it's just enough sound where you just go boom 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 and then you got your bow in your hand because it's just enough for that buck to turn and come like you don't have to when you see a deer especially when you're if you're blind rattling it's one thing to get after it but Changing a deer's direction, yep. turning them and bringing them in, for me anyway, at least in my experience, is it's been very little. It's just been the noise. It's been, you know, you can see them. You can see their reaction to it. They hit it. You see them turn. They look. And then all of a sudden you give it one little th- and then set them down because it might take him a minute, but he's going to come investigate. Yeah. He's going to come. And the last well, thing you want to be doing is rattling while he's running and then you're then trying you're to pinned. and then you get yeah. then you get busted. Well, you I know. go back to the deer what, 163 in Iowa, that deer with the bifurcation. Yep. It's in the other room there. All I could see, I was I was sitting in that corner, um, and all I could see was the top of a tree across the 90. I could see the top of a tree shaking on the fence line. So I knew there was a deer making a scrape at that tree. I couldn't see the deer. I could just see the, the, the shrub shaking. So I literally did what Chris said. I just reached over, and I grabbed my antlers that were, while they were still hanging, and I cracked them together for like three seconds and then let them hang. And sure enough... The tree stopped shaking, and next thing you know, at 25 yards, here he comes through the standing corner in front of us. It was just enough for him to be like, what the hell? Now, it also helps that he was already in that dominant mood making a scrape, right? He wasn't just lollygagging out through a field. He was actually, you know, asserting dominance by making that scrape, so he was already fired up, which that little crack was enough to be like, holy shit, I got to get over there and see what's going on. Now, do you believe in – you know, if a buck is in that right frame of mind, like you were just talking, he's in that dominance frame of mind today. But tomorrow, I mean, is he walking around just pissed off every day? Or is it more of like something's got to trigger him? So like tomorrow, yeah. yes, tomorrow he might be just wandering through a field. And if you rattle at him again, he might be like, ah, you know, I mean, yeah. how do you? I, go ahead. For me, I think it's where, where's he at with the does? Like I've, I've seen bucks that have been hard on a doe like you know I've like sundown for example is a good 10 that was there i mean i saw him hard on a doe chasing for two days solid like in in the mm-hmm. mood like he was getting after it and i saw him and i rattled and he turned and he grunted and he come you know he did the whole thing and then two days later i saw him and he was almost like he was like i'm good i'm yep. spent right yep. I, he was in that kind of recovery phase mm-hmm. so it was like i'm good i don't need to go over there so for me it's a matter of like where are they at with the does and yep. you know if he's found one and has done his business and he's kind of on the backside, right he's looking for a little meal he's chilling you know so i think right. that that at least for me I think they're just like people. I think one day they might be all fired up and pissed off at the world, and the next day they could care less. I mean, I I think we put so much time into trying to figure out what goes through their heads 
I don't think anybody's ever going to get there. Right. You know, I think you find those scenarios where you get a deer, you figure them out, and you can make it happen. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I go back to a deer like ribcage. I, you know, I didn't rattle ribcage in. I rattled the doe that ribcage was following, which is like one of the weirdest rattling experiences I've ever had. But it taught me something because he was back behind me in a different field. Yeah. He was on her probably 25 yards behind her. You could tell, you know, she would kind of stop and do the tail flick every now and then. So she was getting ready. Yeah. Early doe, we're talking Halloween, um, early doe getting ready to come in that year. And I rattled, and she took off on an absolute dead run and ran directly to the base of my tree from 200 yards away. And I think what she was doing is she was trying to get to the base of my tree, have him follow her, have him get tied up and, tied and up distracted and- with what was going on, and then she was going to slip out. That's my honest opinion of what was going on. It took him another 45 minutes to close that same 200 yards or almost an hour, really, to get to me and even at that she was still at the base of my tree and he came out at 36 yards yeah so it's not like he followed right on her so i mean it just goes to show you like rattling doesn't necessarily hurt i mean you could rattle the dough in and look what happens you mm-hmm. know and all of a sudden rib cage is on the ground yeah so, yeah it's, it's crazy how those white tails are a lot like humans you know yeah. they can yeah. be yeah but rattling can also cost you too big time <laughs> they can. Yeah. I've seen yep. it. I've seen it yep. just to go whoops. Like I've been like, hey, whoa, a little too much action. Uh, just there. like, just like I anything. mean, and they're gone. So yep. I mean, it's just depending on the mood and the time of year. And I've had days with like tremendous success, and I've had days where I can't even. I'm like, why are they not running to my tree stand right now? <laughs> I'm rattling. It's ridiculous. But uh, any any time you introduce something into a whitetail's environment, it's risk reward. I mean, the same thing goes with decoying. Right? Sense like all that Baxter, everything. Yeah. Like Baxter is one of my favorite things to hunt over like getting that decoy out there and getting them set up and just it makes the hunt so much more exciting because again you're making the deer do something you're not just sitting in a spot he's going to walk by you're causing a reaction out of that deer but at the same time i mean i've had deer come into baxter um you know they come right up to him puff up you know throw the ears back head sideways cocked and ready to roll and then i've had deer look at him from 200 yards and blow and take off running so it's just it's risk reward yep. with everything you try to do like that. Yep, yep. Got anything over there? I got a couple more. Yeah, I got two of them here. So first one is from Shad Newman, and he wants to know if he can work for you guys. So Shad. Are you guys hiring? <laughs> yeah. Shad. Yeah, what's going on, Shad? Come see we us. We do need an intern. <laughs> yeah, 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 we do. Or maybe a cook on Dropped. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, first, we have to have food. Yeah, somebody to cook for. Or rival Wild. Into Alaska. Yeah. Oh, we got our cook situation set up. Yeah. All right. Yeah. More of a serious one, though. So if you guys have seven days of vacation, maybe like the average person for hunting whitetail, mm-hmm. when are you taking them? Are you taking them all together in a week? Are you breaking them up? And what, and what dates? time of year? Yeah, yeah, what that's time a year? great question. That's a good one. Um, great question. When are we taking the vacation? I'm taking my vacation from October 28th until November, whatever that math works out to, seven days from the 28th. 31 days in October, right? Sure. So, yeah, I'm taking it through, like, the, the 4th or 5th of November. I'm a Halloween guy. always have been. Yep. Uh, October 31st for me is, like, yeah. and I don't know, just I've, I've killed a lot of big deer right there on that day. Um, it's a good time of year because, you know, in early rut years, you get a lot of that pre-rut action that can be going on. You could find yourself dead smack in the heat of it. Yep. Or, you know, like I said, an early doe that comes in. But at the same time, it's also you got a lot of crops coming off, so you got deer being pushed around when crops are coming off. You got deer up on their feet; they're moving. Um, well, and typically, typically the more mature deer in the area is going to find the first doe that's starting to come in right. too. So he yeah. might be up in right. daylight more. Yep. Yeah. 
I'm going to say I'm, ta- I'm splitting mine up. So I'm going to take three days at the beginning of October, early season. Um, I'm going to take three days, the 10th, 11th, and 12th of November. And then I'm going to reserve one day for late season Soybeans. A long weekend. <laughs> Outstanding beans on a snowy day. I'm yeah. going to say I'm yeah. going on a Friday, and I'm going to take a yeah. Saturday and Sunday off work. So now I've done that, and I've got three yeah. days in each. But I think that standing, you know, I mean, think about Ohio, man, in January when they're in those fields. Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, oh yeah. my goodness Dynamite. gracious, that is amazing. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm splitting mine up if I had seven days to take. And I would always take them uh, maybe even two in a weekend, two in a weekend. I'd spread it out. I'd make it happen that way. But. I wouldn't take one week vacation and go hunt one specific spot. So whose whose question was that? So I'm sure we provided no answers. <laughs> um, yeah, that sure was uh, Adam Rocks. Oh, right on. All right, yeah. Good job, Rockstar. Um, cool. So we'll wind down here. We're getting up on time. But uh, what do you guys have in store for this year? Like, what tags do you have, and and what's your plan of attack? This year we got whitetail in store um, for the remainder of the fall here anyway. Uh, actually doing things a little bit different this year, so we got some cool things coming in terms of uh, getting everybody involved in the hunt. You guys all got tags. So mm-hmm. uh, for me, I'll be hunting Kansas uh, first and foremost, running and gunning there. I'm going to reserve Ohio for late season just because I can get down there a lot easier and yep. if the weather's bad and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'll reserve Ohio for late season. But, yeah, I got an archery tag in Kansas. And then I'll be following you, AB. You got an Iowa tag, Iowa tag in your pocket and a Kansas bow tag in your pocket. So can't wait. Uh, we'll be kind of bouncing across the, the Midwest, and I get to run camera for a little bit. Sure. Last time was super sweet six. Was super we're, sweet six. We're, yeah. You got to admit, there were some good shots in there. There was some good shots. There were some good shots in some there. Leaf blowing. Yeah. Uh, Try not to double punch, nice. but uh, we'll make her happen. Mm-hmm. I got uh, I got Kansas out of the gate. I'll head down there coming up quick. And then within yep. a month, I'll be down in Kansas. I'm going to take at least two weeks right there in the beginning and then uh, i've got an iowa tag this year decided i'm gonna head with uh, midwest antler company and mm-hmm. chad same with you and we're gonna head down there to zone four see if we can't get an iowa bruiser down okay. so i'm reserving that probably in that that beginning of that fifth time period november you know depending on where we're at maybe maybe halloweenish mm-hmm. um and then i'm yeah i think this year i'm gonna do ohio um probably gonna hunt rifle season in ohio Okay. Uh, I want to get down there. That Winchester's got that new 350 legend. 350 legend it's yeah. a straight wall cartridge. That's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So that 350 well legend can be used, and I, I really want to kind of put that to work. And I've had great success, you know, in early December that rifle season. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm going to head down there, let the Winchester bark in Ohio, and uh, the other two will be with a bow. That's my plan. And then from there, you never know where it's going to land us. I mean, we're we're always somewhere. Yeah. So. See what happens. Sweet. As long as we're not in Ecuadorian jungle right out of the gate, we're going to be all right. <laughs> so it's all yep. good. Well, cool. I appreciate you guys coming on and doing this. Absolutely. Yeah, Let's man. wrap them up. It's fun stuff, man. Fall podcast. Yeah, we're going to be doing it during the fall a little bit, too. We'll do some updates from camp and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's exciting, you know, getting into the podcast side of things. Obviously, we, we're going to be working on some other new mm-hmm. podcasts that we got coming out along with the one that you're doing here with the fall podcast. So. Uh, just kind of switching things up, trying to bring people a lot more content. Yep. Uh, that's kind of what our focus is, is bringing content all day, every day, and kind of opening up our world and what we do on a daily basis to, to the people. So input's always great. Love to yeah. hear from everybody. Hit us yeah. up. Questions, doesn't matter, man. Shoot us shoot us whatever you can. We love to chat. Check it out. Go to YouTube channel. You guys are putting out a ton of content out there. We're throwing up gear reviews. Yep. I think uh, just a 
quick plug on the the, the new website. Yes, uh, yeah, got a sure. lot of really amazing stuff on the new website with videos. Also got a lot of discounts, exclusive Disc- exclusive, yeah. exclusive yeah. discounts, yeah, exclusive discounts there. on all of our partners uh, that we're working with, and uh, you're able to kind of get a promo code there mm-hmm. and get some big discounts on some items as you're gearing up for fall. So yep. check that out. Go to Kiefer Brothers, and then. I think last but not least is we got Tuesday nights at Travel Channel. Yes. Yep. 10 yeah. o'clock. 10 o'clock. Travel Channel, Code of the Wild. Uh, spread the word. Watch it. Yeah, for those that might not know, Code of the Wild's a little bit of a different show. Yep. Puts Chris and I in kind of some of the most remote places on earth. And uh, we're chasing down some of history's greatest mysteries while we're doing it. So we did uh, Ecuador for a while, Brazil for a while, Alaska living on a glacier for a while. So we got a lot of cool epic adventure stuff going on there. So, yep, Travel Channel, Tuesday nights, 10, 9 central. Yep. It's cool to, to see the dynamic, too, because... I mean, obviously, I've been around you guys for the hunting world for seven years, and now it's to see non-hunting, like a little more of your personalities and everything come out. It's a really, I love watching it. It's really sweet. Watch me make an idiot out of myself. (laughs) Mostly me, getting us lost. (laughs) Where are you guys at this week? Uh, We're in Ecuador this week. Yeah, Ecuador. Yeah, so we we were in Brazil, and then we did Alaska, which I got to be honest with you, I know we went back to Alaska, and we were looking for a plane that went down, was carrying some congressmen. First time Casey and I've been back to Alaska and did not go out and did not have a tag. Did not have a tag. <laughs> that was hard. That was really hard. <laughs> was really out hard. in the bush without a tag, but it was an amazing adventure and uh, kind of, you know, hopefully with this show people are entertained mm-hmm. the whole time and we're we're you know giving a little bit of a history lesson. We're we're pushing some new technology and I mean I think our goal is obviously to find whatever we're looking for, but right. in certain situations it's really to push the story further. Yeah. If we can just keep maybe adding on to it and pushing that story further to be investigated, that's our plan. So it's been a amazing adventure so far. So yep. yeah, this I, we're looking for the land of lost giants in Ecuador. Uh, Archaeological dig, it's got all kinds of stuff and takes us through the jungle to a giant is it man-made structure or not? It's pretty incredible. So, a lot yeah, of fun. We get to do some repelling in a cloud forest. Yeah, and skeletons was... and, and, and all kinds of yeah, So, code of the wild. That's to it. the night. Yep. And back to the whitetail woods. Cool. It's Let's coming up it. quick. Thanks, guys. All right, man. Yep, appreciate it. Thanks. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. Four in the morning. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky.